Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to this. It is the Rugby Dungeon. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. If you're listening to this on your Egg Chasers feed, well, why don't you go and check out the Rugby Dungeon feed because not all of these interviews are on both. Likewise, if you're on Rugby Dungeon and you don't listen to Egg Chasers, go look us up, go subscribe there. And whilst you're at it, go and find us on Twitter. I'm at Jay Beardmore. Cocker is at Cocker. And uh, our podcasts are at the Rugby Dungeon and at Rugby Podcast. Phil will be lurking in your DMs. As always, thank you for Beardmore Co. Independent Financial Advisors, who, of course, I work for. And as you may have guessed, the name has something to do with that for lessing me have the time off to do this. Because today we have a fantastic guest. So, stand by. This is Gary Graham. How are you? I'm good, mate. I'm good. How are you? I'm very well, mate. That is a fine beard. No, it's coming along, isn't it? It's great. How many months of growth is that? Um, I don't actually don't know. I couldn't tell you the last time I clean shaved, but I just trim it down every now and again when the missus gets a bit pissed off with it. So. <laughs> Excellent. Have you been in work today or have you had the day off? No, it's been a day off today. We obviously got sale on Friday, so we have captain's run tomorrow. Yep. Day off today, captain's run tomorrow, and then into it on Friday night. Oh, excellent! Of course, yeah, because it because it's a Friday night game. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. that cell game now is actually quite a tasty clash. Well, yeah, I know. Uh, <clears throat> I think obviously everyone wrote us off for the Bath game. Obviously, people coming back up to the Premiership, it's always yeah. No one really, no one really pays much attention to you. Um, but we've gone down to Bath and turned them over and. It's now makes it a lot more interesting for the Friday night game. Oh, absolutely. You guys must be absolutely bouncing after Bath. We are. Yeah, we definitely were. I mean, we're not getting too ahead of ourselves. Obviously, it's first game of the season. They've only had, what have they had? Was it two weeks or something off prior to the semi-finals and whatever? Yeah. Um, so we're not getting, we know there's still a long way to go, but it's obviously a good start. Well, the best start we could hope for. Oh, yeah, I thought it was a brilliant performance. I'm not going to lie. Um, I predicted, I, I can't remember exactly what I said, but I think it's something along the lines of Bath are going to pound you to dust. And then sat down. Oh, in... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I then sat down in front of the TV, basically watching all of the big names in, in Bath run riot. And I think for the first 10 minutes, they looked like they could be European champions. And then you just battered them. Well, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I... It might have been. Um... I don't know, mate. It's obviously, it's been a long time since we've played some proper rugby, some, some premiership rugby, and I think the boys were, were bouncing off the walls. And... Yeah, I bet. So it was... And then once, as soon as you get foothold in something, as soon as you know that, actually... Because we were going around, we're like, leading up to it, like, this is going to be tough, blah, 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 blah. But then once you're in it, and you're like, this is actually all right here. We're, we're, we're doing all right here. We're, we're, we're the ones holding the... Uh, with the foot on the throat kind of thing. We're like, yeah, let's just do this. Let's just go on. And yeah. then points start racking up. I'm like, yeah, it's definitely, let's go. And it'd be so easy as well, wouldn't it, to have thought, oh, hang on a minute. Because that that first little offload by Redpath was absolutely sublime. But no, yeah. none of it whatsoever. Yeah, I remember looking across at that and just thinking, shit. <laughs> a few minutes and cocking this thing is going over the trial. And I was like, oh, here we go. But to be fair, when you've got Adam Radman on the wing, that's stepping 
one of the biggest wingers in, in rugby at the minute. In a one and a half metres distance, you know, we've definitely got a chance in it. And why the hell not? Like, Radders was outstanding as well. So was obviously Boona, uh, Ben Stevenson on the weekend. So, you, that helped me. What are the sort of turning points in a game like that? Because it does feel like it is one thing from Adam Radwan that builds a bit more confidence. Then you go over and that builds a bit, bit more confidence. Do you start to feel it a little bit slipping away from the opposition? Do you notice things like uh, their body language and so on and so forth? I don't think, I don't notice it from the opposition. But there was a moment in the game that I was like, we're going to win this now. And it was when they broke down the touchline and Tom Penny tackled Cockner Singh into the into touch. Yeah. Because I, I was coming across the pitch and I seen him, I was like, fuck, he's going to, this is it now. Obviously, that would have took me into lead and I think it would have been a lot harder to snatch it back then. And TP tackled him to touch and I went over to him and he stood up and walked and took a knee. And I remember going down to him, I was like, you just fucking won us the game there. You know, we need to go. <laughs> And uh, to be fair, he was bouncing off the walls after that. He was kept every stoppage running over to his head button as saying, yeah, let's go, let's go. And I was like, right, okay. That was, I think that was the turning point for me that I was like, yeah, we're definitely winning this. If that had gone the other way, then it would have been, I think it would have been different. I'm as guilty as anyone for writing you off on the weekend. But then I, I look back at it. I look at the team that you put out on the, on the weekend. And certainly some of the performances were put on the field too, which... Um, uh, I think we mentioned him before. Adam Radwan looks uh, in e- every inch the Premiership player. But like the guys yeah. that you've got to come back as well, you had no Mark Wilson. Yeah, that, well, I think our injured squad's just as big as our fit squad. We've got obviously Philip Van der Vol, Mark Wilson, John Hardy, Will Welch. Um, who else? Lo- there's, honestly, the list go- goes on and on and on, but Gareth Will Goldwyn, Welch, he's yeah. come back in the centres. So I think it's it's going to be mental when once we've got a full fit side and everyone's firing all cylinders. I think it'll be we'll have a good old side. Like, no, you're physical enough. That, uh, yeah, well, that's for sure. Yeah, well, I think that it's been a long, long preseason, mm. and I think it's good for the boys to actually have a goal now to go out on a weekend and smash someone other than your mate because. It's not as nice doing it in training as it is on the, against someone else. Well, from what I hear, you might be joined in the battle, back, back row by another individual, but we'll wait and see if that transpires. Oh, go on. I love a rumour. Uh, it's not a rumour. Next season, you'll be having a new number eight, but you might have him sooner than that. Let's put it that way. All right. Is this... You're already losing me my job straight off the bat. Uh, well, that's a good point, actually. Why did you have eight on your back? Is that your is that your regular position? Or I've always thought he was a seven. Nah. Yeah, I, to be fair, I've only played eight maybe. When I started playing eight last year, and I think that was because there was no one else there. Yeah. So I played like four or five games there, and then obviously we don't have any. And we're, we're now well, yeah. There's not that many fit eights at the minute, so they chucked me in and. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just running around like a headless chicken, but it seems to be working. So, do you know what though? If you don't have an out-and-out ball carrier, you know you're sort of Billy types. I think yeah, the yeah. second best option is a guy with high work rate because that's what you want, really. You you can't get the big carries. You want volume of carries. I think sevens fit into eights really well, actually. Yeah. Well, to, to be fair, positionally, it's never been that much different for me. Like six, seven. I've always done the exact same job, pretty much. Like, just run around, make your carries, make your tackles. And, A, I, I wasn't like, oh, no, I've got to do something differently. I just did exactly what I did. But in the role, you get to be in a bit more positions where you can actually carry the ball. So, you're, you'd be first up or picking from the base or whatever in the backfield. So, you just get a bit more opportunities to do it. So, I don't see it as that much of a different thing. I just no, That's true, actually. And yeah. I think you've seen in the past as well, there's a lot of fuss made about what, numbers on the back of your shirt and again I have done this multiple times particularly when uh, Tom Curry was picked for England at 8 and no one thought he could do yeah. it turns out yeah fine of course yeah. Mark, Mark Wilson yeah. too you know fine I'll do it yeah. yeah exactly well I think they're just it doesn't make that much of a difference does it especially in the back row because you're all pretty much doing the same job like you've got some obviously like your underhills and your curries who are really good on the ball or your Willis yeah. obviously ridiculous on the ball um and then you've got your Billy Winopola, who's a big ball carrier. But they all do the same job, just one will do it a little bit better than the other. Yeah. So they all fit in well. Like There wouldn't be a time where you're like, I need this, need this, need this. I think they just all slip, like, fit into their slots. What has your focus been with Falcons on your return, particularly as a pack? Are you targeting a certain style of play? Um, I don't know. Well, obviously, every time, every 
team wants to be a dominant pack. Mm. So I think that's mainly our target, to be aggressive, to be dominant, to be... Our motto is obviously being the hardest working team in the Premiership. That's, that's cool. Um, so I think that's kind of where we want to go to and where we want to keep it at. I think obviously that's it's doing all right at the minute. Yeah, it, it's a very good thing to have that because you can't always be the biggest carriers or oh, the hardest sack, but the highest work rate is something which can be achievable. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think obviously, like you say, you definitely can't have always have the biggest pack because I think we're going to find that out on the weekend on Friday night when sale come up because they've got probably one of the biggest packs. Yeah. Um, but hardest work rate, I think that just comes down to personal personal pride and what you want to do and how you train and stuff. And that's, the boys have been going well to be fair. Yeah. When you look at that sale pack, I mean, you say it's physical and it, it, it is brutally physical. How do you prepare for that? How, will, how are you going to go about trying to neutralise what they do? Um... You've got to get your head in the spokes and try and trip people up. <laughs> That's about Good. it. I don't think, to be fair, a team like Sale, it's not um, in the forwards anyways. It's not a crazy thing to try and defend because you know exactly what they're going to do. They're going to yeah. come straight at you with big, heavy South African men. Yes. Um, so you just got to try and get in the way and trip them up on, along the way. Like You know, they are big. They are heavy. And I spend a lot of time watching Sale, and I like them a lot. Uh, I do feel, though, maybe outside of the Exeter game, when they got roughly a team with the same physicality, they've not been put, yeah. on, put on the back foot. And I'd be interested to see how that pack goes once someone really puts some pressure on them. Yeah, I know. To be fair, like we we have done a... It's been a short week, obviously, with it being a Friday night game. Mm. So we've had yesterday's training session and the day before. And then we've got captain's run. But we've got a game plan in place, and I think... Seeing from the weekend, obviously being them, them hard workers, we can out enthuse them and we can keep going. And being at home, obviously, is, becomes a bit of a, a thing now. It's got to be a bit of a fortress, hasn't it? So now, have I got this wrong? Are you are you from Carlisle originally? Not from Carlisle. I was raised in Carlisle. I was born in Sterling, uh, and then when I was like two, three, moved to Carlisle. You certainly got the Cumbrian accent. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, that's that's one of my downfalls, but it's um, that's just what I was with, you know. I spent most of the time there, so picked it up. So, where did you play your junior rugby at Carlisle Rugby Club? I never started playing rugby till I was fifteen. Uh-huh. I all my I've got three brothers, one older, two younger. They all started playing at like whatever it's five or six when the youngest you can go. And then I was quite shy as a as a kid, so I went down, started crying. That <laughs> So he said, obviously, like he was a rugby oriented man. So he's like, oh, why don't you want to go? I said, when did you start? He said, oh, f- um, 15. I went right later on. And I was like, I'll start when you start. I'll start at 15. And on my 15th birthday, my dad took us down to training. Awesome. And then that was it. Um, never turned back then. Is your dad a rugby man? Yeah. Of, co- of yeah. course he is. Of course he is. He's yeah. international. What am I, what am I even asking? Big... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's probably the biggest rugby man you'll ever meet. And you were playing for Carlisle, yeah? Yeah, I played for Carlisle till I was 17. Uh-huh. My dad had started coaching Gala two years before that, team in the borders. Yeah. And he said, uh, and I was playing, well, I was playing for the, the men's side of Carlisle. And then he asked me and my older brother if we wanted to go and play for him. And then from, yeah, 17 till 21 or 22. Yeah, 2021, played under my dad. Ah, so I'm, I'm just trying to make it. So you're 28 now. So 10 years ago, you'd have been playing for Carlisle, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So yeah. as as playing at Broughton Park about that time, I mean, I played emergency tight head, and I remember playing against this guy. Emergency head. Well, I say emergency. I started at tight head. No, sorry. Story was, I was playing at Stockport, uh, second team, and I moved from the wing onto the flank, and so I, you know, that was like a long term move. And our tight head yeah. prop went down. And the options were go without a scrum or someone play tight head. And I looked at this prop and thought, you are an absolute disgrace. If you can do it, surely I can do it. I mean, there's no way that I can't do it. And it's easy. From a wing to a tight head. Yeah, it, it was relatively straightforward. That's literally the polar opposites of numbers. Yeah, yeah, true, true. I mean, I guess there's a couple of other position, positions like the fly half or nine, which would be more difficult. But yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I did that. But I went to Carlisle and you had this little guy at Loosehead. And honestly, I've never had a worse time in my life. Ever. Ever. Ooh, I think he, he doesn't smile. 
He doesn't have a laugh or a joke afterwards. Apparently, he doesn't drink, uh, and he's not big at all. It was it was dreadful. Battered me. Uh, I'm thinking of Steve Stamper, but me? he, but he he drank. Believe it, he definitely drank. Uh, I don't think it's to be fair I can't remember there being any people that didn't drink in Carlisle I'm sure well I'm sure they said that this guy didn't drink or maybe they said that he, that he didn't talk much he yeah. he absolutely nailed me another time the second row knocked me out that was the day of the Japan, the Japan South Africa game so ah, right. yeah, yeah. watch that at Carlisle and the other time I remember is where we both teams scored zero tries and we lost by 30 points all from kicks <laughs> yeah Carlisle Carlisle's a hell of a place to go to. It is, it will, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a great city, man. People don't people haven't lived until you've been to Carlisle. Especially <laughs> out there, it's class. I've not done a Carlisle night out there, but uh, I played plenty of rugby there. Oh, you should definitely go on a night out in Carlisle. Well, obviously not now we're in lockdown, but when you when we get out of lockdown, make it a mission to get to Carlisle for a night out. I guess it's the only big town, isn't it, for like a couple of miles or you know some such thing. Yeah, well, obviously it's. The more the northernmost city, and then the closest places around it are like Penrith, Keswick, yeah, places that are country blumpkins out in nowhere doing nothing. So presumably you were travelling over to maybe not Keswick, but yeah, definitely um, Penrith would have been in your league in Kendall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we played. Yeah, we played those boys, um, and then like I say, when we, I got to seventeen, my dad has to go to Gala. I was coming home from work. Because I, I was an electrician then. Yeah. Coming up, well, getting home from work at like four, half four. My dad would have my dinner cooked and then the Tupperware for me and my older brother. Brilliant. And then we'd jump micro, eat our dinner on the way to training, an hour and 15 minutes, get to training, train for an hour and a half, two hours, get back in the micro, drive home. One of us would try and sleep, the other one would stay awake, talk to my dad, get home for like half, 10, 11, go to work the next day. Do that Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. It was hanging. I bet hanging. it was. Oh, so, on, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Tra- training, training twice a week. How far away is Gala? Yeah. Uh, like a oh, what is it? Is it nineteen? No, it's not that. It's an hour. It's an hour and fifteen minutes away. Anyways, that's a big old commitment. That. Yeah, it was. But obviously, at the time, Gala weren't really in that higher league. Mm. And then we obviously, me and my brother both had aspirations of trying to do something with rugby. Yeah. I wanted to, well, actually at that age, I wanted to play for Scotland in the twenties. Um, so that was my only chance. I, I think at Carlisle, I went for the exiles training, which was crap. So we did yeah. that. And then obviously I never got into the camp and then I went to play for Gala. Then you're actually in the proper Scotland camp rather than the exiles camp. So makes actually the coaches and stuff. Makes, makes a big difference that, how good is the standard at Gala? Because I know nothing really about Scottish club club rugby. Obviously, I know about the the, the, the Pro Fourteen teams, but what what happens beneath that? It, it is, but the the it's called the Scottish Premiership. Yeah. Um. So beneath the so if you're not in the starting fifteen or starting twenty three for the weekend, those players will get dished out to the Premiership side. So you'll get allocated whatever players the coaches pick through their teams, and if they're not playing for Edinburgh Glasgow, then they don't come and play for you. So it's quite it's a decent standard. I know looking back on it now, the, the pro boys that were coming down must have hated it because they rocked yeah. up on a Thursday night, like in the Scottish borders, freezing cold, nobody really cares about them, they're just kicking about. But at that time we were quite good. So when I first went to Gala, I think we finished sixth. The year after that was like fourth. And then we finished second. Um Against some, we had it was we were at top. We were number one. Melrose was second, and I think Air were third. And they had Finn Russell playing for them at the time. Amazing. And Mel Melrose tweeted to Air or sent a message saying, "If you boys beat Gala, because that would obviously switch it. We was three points in it, whatever. If you boys beat Gala, there's free bar at Melrose." And Finn Russell, <laughs> Dicky is. Pinned us in the corners all game and literally won the game with, for them single-handedly. Well, it's amazing what motivates Finn Russell, eh? Yeah, I know, yeah. Well, there you go. That's just a... Hell of a boy. what it is now. Now it's champagne, then it was just beer in Melrose. Exactly. Are you aware of the draft in the Scottish Premiership? The draft? Yeah, I only found this out. I went to went up to Glasgow to have a look at their facilities and meet some of the players and you know, all that jazz. Yeah. 
And uh, I interviewed Kenny Murray, uh, the Glasgow coach. In fact, he might be sent to Scotland now. Is it Kenny Murray? Oh, I hope it is, or that'll be embarrassing. But he is, um, <laughs> he's a guy who's really interesting because he's made his way up coaching the club teams and then made it into a pro team rather than you know get drafting in a new zealander or a south african or yeah. whatever it is it's, you know he's a good good rugby guy made it to the top and he was describing to me the draft and i had no idea that this was a thing but all the teams in the scottish prem draft the pro players so you can draft any player you want from glasgow or edinburgh including you know finn russell or hog or whoever it was back then and yeah. you get them if you if they're not playing like you said. Yeah, yeah. But you have to be quite strategic. So there's no point in picking um yeah, you know Kinghorn King or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you always be playing. So they so they went so apparently the draft strategies are like if you are if you want to draft you've got to draft the player or players in the same position. Does that make sense? So there'll always be a tight head not playing or there'll always be a hooker not playing. That way yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You, you like like you guaranteed your squad spot. And I thought that that, that was actually really interesting. Yeah, I think it's it's quite a good way of doing it, obviously, it gets the boys game time. And we had we played against Glasgow Hawks, and they had big Al Kellogg. He was just coming back from injury. Oh. Obviously, a current was he current Scotland international? Yeah, I think he was current Scotland international. And like he'd been out for a few whatever it was weeks or months. Yeah, and then he turned to gala on the Saturday, and we had him running down our channel like, oh, spot on. Here we go. Let's let's go at this. But we had I don't know if you ever heard of him, Opeta Palapoy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Big Samoan guy plays for Gala. And those two giants came together and it was like split the worlds, man. Honestly, it was huge. It was a big collision. But I bet as a young lad, it, it is pretty exciting to have people like Ali Kellogg show up at your ground. Oh, definitely. That was that was one of the things that motivated me when we played against teams like that. Like, um, who was it? Did we play against Curry? Josh Josh Strauss was playing for them, and I always love to like yeah. give myself a challenge. So if, as soon as I you find out obviously on the weekend of the Thursday who was drafted out to who, and I knew Josh Strauss was playing for Curry against us, and that was it. I was like focused, and I was like, right, he's a big ball carrier, and it's smashing. As soon as he gets to it, he rocked up on the Saturday, not even knowing who which team was Curry and which team was Gally. Didn't know no, the really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. At the time, because obviously the, the boys that. From the Pro 14 team, they don't really care. Like they're not nah. keeping a, a tabs on who's doing well in the Premiership. Um, and he rocked up, and then I think I did smash him once, but <laughs> he was just like not even trying. I think he was just kicking about doing his bits. I tell you what, though, you are an athlete in that situation, and you know maybe next week or the week after you've got an international, and your coach is sending you to play a load of guys down in Gala, who presumably all want to make their name by smashing you. I mean, it just doesn't yeah. strike me as a wise decision. I know exactly that. I think at the time, we were like, the boys that weren't professional were like, what a bunch of fucking dicks. They don't care about the fucking club. Like, the yeah. game or that. But then looking back at it now, I couldn't think of anything worse. Like, your your job is, you're being paid to play rugby at the top of your game, trying to get like as fit and strong and blah, blah, blah. And you're going to possibly risk it by some fucking jumped up Gary Graham who's trying to break your legs and tackle. Exactly. He was a nobody and just like flying around. And I was thinking, now looking back at it, I was thinking, oh, fuck, I'd hate to do that. But oh. at the time I was like, these guys don't give us any respect. I, it's true though. I mean, that's kind of how you got to, it's how you got to approach it. I tell you what, you see that a lot in the A-team the a leagues too. So yeah. like, you know, you, you, I, I remember when I watched it because I'm a sad, I'm a sad individual. I watched a sale A A team league and I read the team shit. I was like, Christ, these guys will absolutely wipe the floor with wasps. But like yeah. wasps are just a bunch of heroes. I mean they're, they're all out there, they're all nineteen, they want to make a name for themselves. Oh, hundred percent. But then there is other times as well when literally so I think who was it? I can't remember which team it was, but they literally don't give care about the A team because they don't want to risk any injuries like that. Yeah. Like, something like the exact same thing. So they literally they will just go to like a co- a college, Hartbury College or or a university, just be like, right, first 15 lads who want to play for <laughs> Wasp on the weekend, Wasp play on the weekend, get yourself in, and then they'll just get humped off an actual A team that's been training together and trying to make a name for themselves, kind of thing. Yeah, uh, A team can produce some absolutely savage mismatches. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I actually got drafted into a Newcastle A team when I was 17 as well. So, oh, yeah, that was, I was real young got asked to play for an A team, went in, 
literally on the day of the game, I was like, just turned up, trained, done the warm up and stuff, and got in the game. And I was just like, what am I, what am I doing here? There's no, I'm do, I'm have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just running around. Didn't do anything good. I was just like, well, this is completely pointless. Yeah, it is, but, isn't it? I, I guess the, I guess the only thing you can say is you've got the Falcons crest on your shirt and you can throw it on a CV to someone yeah. who cares. Well, obviously, yeah. At the at the time, I was buzzing because I was like, "Ooh, Christ, I'm wearing a Falcon shirt here." Well, you let your imagination run away with you, then, don't you? Like, <laughs> what if what if Dean's looking up and saying, "Look at that guy; he wants a contract." Yeah, and, really, just and do I get a hoodie? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Dean didn't even know I was on the team sheet, to be honest. So, put this together for me. You don't fancy playing the game until you're 15, and then mm. in a very short space of time, you go from you know fairly new to the game to chomping at the bit to smash josh strauss do you sort of remember when it clicked for you and you said right actually i kind of get get the idea of what i'm meant to be doing here um it wasn't like it wasn't like i didn't know because obviously all three of my brothers played rugby yeah my dad's fanatic so it wasn't like from between those early years i wasn't doing anything we were playing rugby in the fucking front room my dad was tackling us and we were fighting and this and the other and i was playing with mates and out the front and stuff like that so I knew what I was doing, and as soon as I got into it, I was probably more ready for it than a lot of the other lads that had been there since they were young because I had a dad that was smashing it into me from an early age. Yeah. So I think I knew exactly what I was doing. Like I knew my dad taught us how to tackle pretty early. And Guy, my youngest brother, he smokes blokes. When he was young, I remember <laughs> my dad went to, uh, he got a gig in Italy. Yeah. Uh, and Guy must have been... I don't know, maybe nine or ten, or maybe a little bit older. Yeah, nine or ten. And uh, he went to went started playing rugby there. And there's a picture of him, and he's lit. He was an aggressive little bastard back in the day. And there's a picture of him picking this little kid up and dumping him on his ass. And he was at a tournament, and the coaches of the other team was telling the Petrarca coach to not put him on the pitch because he was making that many people cry. Awesome, awesome. So it was it was into us at an early age that tackling and these kind of aggression things was was good to go yeah do you know i think half of being a pro not that i know but i think it is the it's the attitude it's the it's not so much being a, a strong or a hard guy it's about that attitude of wanting to go hard no definitely not i think that's where most people will get find out because you get people that want to be a tracksuit wearer yeah that, like you get um i play for newcastle falcons or i play for Worcester, or i play for Saris. do you really have you ever played for them yeah. Or uh, when does it when it comes push to shove and you've got to go out there and do the business? Are you actually not that interested in rugby and you don't want to go and put your body on the line kind of thing? Yeah, and so I think I, it's you that, get a lot of those. Yeah, it's that exact attitude putting your body on the line. And I actually think in some ways you get these absolutely enormous lads who can substitute their physical prowess and might not quite be as hard as you would otherwise expect. If that makes sense. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh. 100% like you you can get by on just being a mutant but then there will be times when you find out when like you know what I mean I don't know you get a little niggle and then you're like calling it then and you're like oh no I can't play or whatever yes but, quite quite and it's, it, it's funny on that because um you know there are some players that literally will play through anything and you think why is he never injured and the reason is it it's not he's never injured it's that he plays he's injured. Always in- yeah he's always injured yeah. And other guys just, yeah. just won't do it. Yeah, I know. That's just kind of that's always going to be though, isn't it? That's that's always the way. I think a lot of the like Will Welsh in our team has probably probably got a few screws loose in his head because he's a psychopath. I think he would probably try and play with no legs if it was possible. <laughs> um, and other boys like that. But there's obviously always going to be the ones that will take the small things and make them into something big. Yeah. when really you could probably keep going. Uh, what are your brothers doing now? My older brother plays for Penrith. Um, oh, does he? he? Yeah, yeah. He's well, He's been there for maybe two... Th- I think he's actually... or was going to be uh, their player coach. Yeah. Pre-COVID. And then COVID came about and he's not doing it. Well, there's nothing at the minute. Um, but he's a mechanical engineer for Pirelli. Oh, um, cool. My other brother, my youngest brother was at Newcastle. Okay, yes, uh, I remember that. Yeah, he'd done two years here. Um, fortunately, not really, didn't really get a gig. I think we had, we obviously went from the Prem where we were getting relegated, we got the relegated year. Mm. So 
there's never going to be a chance for a young lad when you're getting beat every week because pressure's on coaches to win, never mind, you know, give someone a few minutes. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously in the championship, the pressure's flipped to winning every week because we have to get promoted again. Yes, so it's like catch 22. Um, and then he got let go, obviously, and he had a gig at Coventry. Okay. Pre pre COVID again. And that hit, and then it got kind of pulled because obviously all the, they lost all the funding. They got rid of like, I don't know, 15, 20 players of their own first starting team. Yeah. So Guy was kind of put to the bottom of the pile there. But I think, I think there might be some good news coming. Don't know. Don't call me. But hopefully. Let's hope so, because so many lads are in the championship, and that's a bloody hard place to be. You know, as as we've seen, it can all come come crashing down pretty quickly. Oh, definitely. I think this thing here is COVID has shown how hard the championship is, because there's boys that have been making a living with families, houses, on not great money, no. but getting through it and stuff like that. And then when something like this happens, obviously it's unprecedented and it's never happened before. But then you've literally got clubs that are going nah, you're out. Um, we can't pay your wages. Yeah. So what happens there? Like, well, all right, do I sell the house? Do I, do I leave the kids in the street, sell them off? Or it's, it's, what, what, what do we do? it's difficult, though, because there are some lads playing really high-level rugby. Oh, I say really high-level rugby. Yeah, it is. It, it is. Um, and they're notionally full-time professionals, but full-time professionals on, what, you know, 20 grand? And it, I can't imagine... I mean, I guess the risk is you take the 20 grand contact, say, Doncaster, and hope to get picked up by Newcastle at a later date. But it's hell of a yeah. risk. Well, this is it. That's why most of the championship is young lads, 18, 19-year-olds, come straight from uni, um, chucked into a professional environment. But then you've got other boys that are like 30, 35, that have been doing it for 10, 15 years, that didn't just make the Premiership Cup, but they've been in the game long enough now that they're making a a wage that keeps them living. Yeah. And then trying to hold on so that they don't actually have to go back into real life. And if you go into an office job at 35 where you're going, shit, I've obviously done nothing. I've got nothing here. What am I going to do now? Yeah, and that's the thing with rugby. Uh, you know, it's the opportunity cost. It's not necessarily the money you're making or not making because you know, a, a, you know, a lot of people can get by on, on that money. Dare I say, many oh, people 100%. do. But it's what you've given up to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is it, isn't it? Like, I think people hold on to it because it's it is the fear of going into somewhere else. Like, yeah. rugby, rugby is so easy. You come in, you're with 30, 40, 50 of your mates, kicking a rugby ball about, yeah. bantering each other, giving each other shit every day. Go and jump in the shower, go home. Whereas, you don't want to be going into a fucking office and then getting pulled into HR because you've called Karen a fucking bitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I mean. You, yeah, so, you've, yeah, you've tackled Greg. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why did you fucking slap Karen's ass at the fucking photocopier? That's not allowed. Yeah, <laughs> you can do that yeah. in the room with another bloke, but yeah, yeah. Whereas slapping uh, Tatey's ass is absolutely fine. Yeah, well, I do that pretty much daily now. <laughs> so th- there is obviously a bit missing here because um, you didn't just go straight from Gala to Newcastle Falcons. You uh, you spent a bit a bit of time at Jersey too. Jersey, yeah. Um... I had an agent in Gala who, when I played, first made it into the 20s, and he, I think he, I don't even know if he was my agent. I know he said he was, but every time I spoke to him, he didn't really get us anything, and then I got another agent, and within a couple of weeks, I got a phone call on the Monday saying, Jersey want you, and I was like, oh, class, perfect. Well, halfway through, halfway through the season it was. Yeah. I was like, perfect, class, when do they want me? And they were like, uh, they want you over on Wednesday. And I was what? like, Jesus Christ. I'd just, start, I'd just started a new job. So I'd started working as a, I was trying to get into Sellafield, nuclear power plant. Yeah. So I'd started working for um, a, a company there as an electrician. And I'd been in for three weeks. So you've got to do a bit of time off the factory to get into the factory. So I was in the middle of that. Um, and that would have been a real good wage. That would have been some money that I'd never seen before as an electrician. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And I was like, fucking hell, like, what do I do here? I've just started a new job and I've got to leave it in two days time I've got to say to them right I'm going in two days so I, was, I rang up my head and I was like can you can they give us some more time he's like oh, I'll ring them back and then about an hour later Thursday <laughs> so I, was, I was like Jesus Christ so I was sat in the factory in the bait room just like holding my head in my hands like oh what a crossroads that is oh I know and I was panicking hard and I was ringing my dad and I was ringing my mum and they were like it's probably one of the only chances I would have got, or it would have took another year or two years yeah. or whatever. Then I would have been a bit older, and I was like, "Yeah, fuck it, let's go." That's awesome. And to be fair, luckily in Carlisle, it's quite rugby orientated. So there is. I spoke to my boss and I said, "Look, this is the opportunity that's came up. I know, obviously, I've been here, but blah blah." blah. And he said, "No, look, I think you should definitely take it." So he was he was sound with his tenants Good on bloke. Way. Yeah, and then I went to Jersey, and everything was going well. They signed me as a second row. I remember the boys were saying to us that they signed me as a second row. Really? And these were these guys were all expecting like six foot five, <laughs> yeah. big, big guy coming over the pitch, and they said they just seen me six foot two, <laughs> fat as out, trudging across this pitch with a big bushy beard, just like who the fuck have we signed here? I was going to say second row. I mean, you you, you must have had one hell of an agent. Well, yeah, no. Oh, he was just a really good liar. Yeah, well, same difference. Like, I think that I think that is a really good agent, isn't it? Yeah, true. Yeah, he must have just stretched my thumb, flip <laughs> out so I looked taller in it. Um, and then I was there for maybe um, maybe a couple of months, and I was supposed to start against Worcester. Yeah. And on the Tuesday, I'd had a bad shoulder for years. And on the Tuesday before I was supposed to get my first start. Um, I carried the ball into the training session, went over and landed on my shoulder and just popped out a little bit. Um, and that was me. And that was, I was like, oh, I'm done here. I need an operation. I oh, told my labor. joking. So did, did you ever play for Jersey in, in the first 15? Or yeah, you, yeah. So luckily at the time, um, the Doncaster DOR, Steve Borden um, and Harvey Bilger, he's obviously still there. And they were like, yeah, we see something in you. We we're going to give you a gig. So they give me a year. Got myself fit, obviously, in the four months. And then I got a shot and played the jersey for two years after that. That's amazing. So you yeah, must. Was... So how old were you when you finally got to Newcastle? What, 24? 20, 23? Yeah, 23, 24. How long have I been in Newcastle now? Three years, four years? Yeah, probably like 23, 24, yeah. How incredible. So you've gone from being in Sellafield, not sure what you're wanting to do. You've signed as a second row. You've, you've, you've made it as a back row uh you you <laughs> you eventually get get to newcastle which we'll come to in, in a second but then of course you're then uh well you're then contested at international property a bit like the gaza strip actually uh, well yeah it's it's been a it's been a whirlwind ride um but i eventually got there yeah obviously i did it the hard way going through English juniors to Scotland juniors to all the way up through that, then went cross cross the sea to Jersey, then back again for Newcastle, and then this way is what it is now. So I mean, I mean, you couldn't possibly sit down with an interview with yourself and not ask about your England experience because this is one of this is one of the is one of the stories of the season, of course. Ah, yeah. I, I got a, I, I got a text because I do a lot. I watch rugby every week. I've done this podcast for seven odd years. You know, uh, we've not missed a. I think we missed one week in seven years. So we watch a lot of rugby, and yeah. we had I had to read the team sheet twice. And that's and that's, and that's no disrespect to yourself, but 
Gary yeah. Gary Graham. And then it's like, well, what what is he? Sixteen years old, sixteen year old fly half. I mean, what's he? Is it the next Marcus Smith? Twenty four year old back row. So just yeah. just talk us through that. Uh, came to Newcastle uh, my first year. Said to so I went for a meeting with Dean, and um, he was like, classic DOR trick. He was like, what do you want at Jersey? I told him, and it was fucking peanuts. <laughs> and he was like, right. So you're just looking for a chance. And I was like, yeah, I just need an opportunity. So he signed me. He gave me a contract, whatever it was, a week, a month later, for about a £1,000 more than what I was on. Really? So I was like, right, fine. That's my bad. Shouldn't. Should have. It's a bit of a schoolboy. Um, and then, yeah, obviously I had a good preseason. And then I think they had classic Newcastle had a few injuries uh, and I got my first goal against Wasps away and we got pumped um, but I, I think I was okay I was distinctly average and then luckily after that I pretty much played most of the games um, and I got a phone call off my agent no sorry who was it off? yeah I think it was oh no sorry the team manager yeah I phone call team manager in are you English qualified? Mm. Out of blue on a, a random night, like a, a Wednesday night or whatever. And I was like, uh, yeah, I've lived here for whatever, seven, 20 years, whatever. He's like, all right, okay. He's like, all right, okay, okay. I was like, hung up on it. And I was like, what the fuck is going on here? So I rang my dad. I was like, managers just said, are you English qualified? And he's like, England are going to ask you. And I was like, no chance. Nah, can't be happening. I've only, it's my first year in the Prem. Can't be. Lo and behold, I get a, an email saying, inviting us up to a camp, uh, inviting us down to a camp in Brighton. And I was just like, what's going this on is, here? Okay, so let's just go back a, a step. The team manager phoned you. Was that Richard Hill at the time? Who was the team manager? No, sorry, Newcastle team manager phoned me. So it's John Stoker rang me. Wow. And he went, are you English qualified? And I was like, obviously, you know I'm English qualified. I play for your team. Of course. So Right, okay, and then obviously it all came about, and I went down, and we went to a hotel, and I was obviously the new guy there. All these big names, honestly, like, all these big names, Dylan Hartley, um, Farrell, all these boys rocking around, and it's in a big meeting room, and I was sat there, but just by myself, like, looking at my phone, and I seen Eddie Jones, and he clocked eyes with me, and I was like, shit, I have to go over and say hello. So I walked over to him and I like stuck my hand out and he went to shake my hand and he went, Paul, it's Paul, right? <laughs> oh, no. And I was like, fucking hell, I don't know, it's not Paul. <laughs> I was like, it's Gary. And then that was it. That was it, didn't say anything more to us. What? And I just turned on my heels, just started walking away. Uh, and that was our interaction with Eddie Jones. It's... Oh, it's crazy. So Eddie Jones called you by the wrong name? He called me Paul. He said, Paul, it's Paul, right? I thought you'd be bigger. And I was like, it's not Paul. It's definitely not Paul. I mean, I can be Paul. Yeah. But, uh, do you know what? You should have gone, yes, it is Paul. Yes, yeah. sir. It is Paul. What can I do for you, sir? Yeah. I know, yeah. Um, but yeah, then obviously that was a bit awkward. And I was like, you know, I think I told one of the boys at the time. And they just laughed because he's obviously renowned for his mind games. Yeah. Like, just fucking pissing people off. Um, trained down that weekend. And then I got invited back into the Six Nations camp. Went to... Browns in Portugal. Um, that was probably the worst week of my life. Why? Because it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Really? That was obviously it was just so it was just so hard. Obviously, I went from Jersey, which was obviously professional environment, full professional, still hard like training yeah. every day, blah, blah blah, into Newcastle, which was even harder, more training, more weights, bigger men. Then I went from that into the England stuff, the biggest men the most work, the most training. And I was literally, the, we arrived on the Sunday night, Monday morning, first thing, a beasting, proper beasting. I was like, right, okay. Into weights, proper beasting. I was like, right, Christ alive. Tuesday, woke up in bed, couldn't feel my legs, oh. had the biggest doms you've ever seen in your life. And I was like, getting out of bed, rolling out. I was like, right, look at the schedule, another beasting. I was like, fucking give me strength. Went to a beasting, more weights. Wednesday was your day off, but there was something called, I can't remember what it was called. It was like 
EDP, it's like English, England Development Session, what ADS, English yeah, Development yeah. Sessions, basically just positional beasting. So just be the back rows with a bag in the middle, one on either side, step, get up, who's quickest over the ball, smashing heads together. That was on your day off. And then we did it again on Thursday, and then we did it again on Friday. And by the end of it, I was just like, this this is ridiculous, man. I can't I can't survive in this. People were getting injured left, right, in Chelsea. I remember we... That's incredible. So there, was, there was me, the back rows were me, Underhill, Zach Mercer, um, and Nick Ezekwe, but he was second row, back row. Yeah, yeah. Powerful man as well. Session. Yeah, we'd done a fitness session and it was like short 10, 15 metre sprints and we were all ahead of him so we were all beating him in all these sprints and then it got to the longer stuff. We'd like, bear in mind we'd done maybe three, three sets of this stuff and we were like cruising it and then we get to the longer stuff and he starts to overtake us and maybe like three, four reps in and yeah. Eddie's just like, nah, cut it, cut it and we were just like, He's like, you aren't fucking trying hard enough. You're not fucking doing this, not doing that. And I was just like, oh, no, I'm fucked here. I'm, I'm getting sent home. I'm on wow. the next flight home. And uh, gets to the, and we were all like, no, we want to keep, obviously, being fucking right. We definitely want it. We're like, no, we want to train. We want to train. Um, and he's like, nah, get off, get off. Get. And then we have the team meeting that night. And he's like, there's boys here that don't want it enough. But it's just, obviously, it's just a use to get more out of people by like scaremongering going, oh, there's fucking boys here. We obviously knew it was us. <laughs> but we, we knew we knew that Ezekiel had only just beat us by a couple of things. And the stuff leading up to that, we were leading it. So what's the moral of the story then? Nick Ezekiel sold you out? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. yeah fucking you need to level some scores there, mate. He's got longer legs than us, so he can do the longer distance stuff easier and sold us right down the river. Wow. Looking back at it now, do you think that sort of training makes sense? Well, that was that was the season that England finished fifth in the Six Nations, wasn't it? So yes, that was their worst, it was. That was their worst Six Nations in whatever it was, 30 years or whatever it was. So that's a nice accolade to add to my tally. <laughs> Part of the worst performing English team ever. Um, but yeah, so I, I think after that, there was obviously a lot of injuries and a lot of people pulling up and stuff like that. So I think he must have reined it back and obviously started looking after the boys a lot more because then I think the year after that they maybe won it or finished. But what I can't wrap my head around is it's not as if it's not as if I was coaching you and I designed it from scratch thinking hey, what should we do? Oh, I know, we'll just beast them every day because that might work or it might not work. You know, the man's got yeah. like 25 years of coaching experience. It seems like a weird way to go. Yeah, honestly, I, I don't know. I couldn't, I couldn't say what it was. I, couldn't, I don't know why you did it or what the method behind it was. I know... Or I heard, I don't know if it's true or not, that the Japs are crazy trainers. Like, he used to have them up at, like... This is true. Could be rumours, but, like, four in the morning doing sessions and stuff like that. So, I know, I don't know... Was that the first year he went to England? Yeah, so, on the Japanese thing. So, I, I don't know the exact process that they went through. But I was interviewing a rugby journalist from Japan called Rich... Freeman, who is a cracking guy, knows everything that there is to know about Japanese rugby. And yeah. he basically said, they are very grateful for what Eddie Jones did, but they never would want to work for him ever again. Really? Uh, yeah. No, well, and there's, well, there some, there's something about, because he's obviously, he used to be a hooker. Um, some guys think, I'm trying to think, I'm just trying to get the phrasing, phraseology right here. Something about, some people like to get big players and, and make them hard workers. Uh, and Eddie's the other way around. He likes to get hard workers and make them into big players. I wonder if that was a hangover from Japan, because I guess yeah. if you can control your players, you guys are all premiership players, you, you're all pretty fit anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, actually. Did you feel that you were miles off pace when you were training? Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, I did then. Oh, I did, yeah, massively then. Do you think everyone felt like that? No. No, I just wasn't... It was a complete and utter shock to the system when I went in. Because obviously I went... From Jersey, from playing Jersey first team, six months later, being in the England Six Nations team and training with them, like how they would do it. And at that, honestly, I just a complete shock to the system. I was like, this, 
this cannot be what we're supposed to be doing all the time. That's so interesting. Did any of that experience, did you, I guess it could go one of two ways. It's kind of like we were talking about, about the bath game earlier and you said you know once you're in it you think yeah it's not all that we're fine yeah you did you come away from the opposite with the opposite impression like these guys are bloody good yeah yeah that's exactly what i was like I was, at the end of it i was like fair fucks to those guys they, <laughs> they do they earn everything they've got because the sessions are brutal and the information you've got to get in the information you've got to take down and listen to and it's it's next level stuff like but yeah. then again it did I think that, like, I go back to say that it was just the complete shock to the system for me. I think yeah. that got me ready for obviously then going into the Scotland stuff because I was a bit more like, all right, this is what to expect. Yeah, I bet. Going in and being completely shocked again. And what's the information side like? Because you just said then there's a lot of information to take in. Again, is that is that ratcheted up a bit? Are you expected to know more things? I, I don't think it's more things. I think it's just quicker. So obviously in a premiership team, you've got, the whole of pre-season to step-by-step, step, yeah. baby step it all the way through, right, this is what we're going to do, this is what we're going to do, and take it step, whereas you've got seven days or two weeks, maybe, like, spread out over a couple of months to go, right, yeah, these are all the players, these are all the line-out calls, these are what we're doing off here, blah, 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 and I'm just like, I'm sitting there going, I haven't got any GCSEs, and this is... <laughs> I don't know what's going on here. Oh, I mean, you make a good point, which is, you know, if you're an instinctive rugby player, and I think this is a criticism which is very valid of a lot of teams, if you play on instinct and it's too it's too regimented, it's going to be really, really difficult. There was a rumour going around that um, Andy Robinson had six different defensive calls for each area of the pitch. Now, that's insane. If that is true, that's insane. A lot of the things go wrong. It's just when someone, like, slips up on a little bit of information, because there's that much to be known, or, or have to learn that you're just like Christ I have no idea where I'm supposed to be here somebody says something just like I'm just going to run a line and hope that I'm somewhere there or thereabouts <laughs> to be in the right place after your England thing obviously go over to Scotland mm. were you expecting the same treatment in Scotland as you were in England in terms of the physicality yeah 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 oh definitely yeah I knew it was I knew it was just going to be just as tough I know Scotland Scotland are a really good side obviously and yeah They've got some big boys, and I knew that the back, the competition there was going to be crazy because of the back rows are ridiculous. Um, and yeah, it wasn't really, it wasn't, it was another shock to the system, but it wasn't as bad because I'd been prepped a little bit before that. Yeah, I, I wonder if you would have enjoyed it some somewhat more if you had a couple of years with a couple of years at Falcons first. Yeah, I think I think that would have definitely made a difference. I think. It just gets you a little bit more conditioned to it. So I think that would have been a lot easier. And I think I probably would have enjoyed it more if I just went straight to Scotland first. Skipped out <laughs> that bit in the middle. What is your first move? I mean, did you just jump up and introduce yourself to, to Owen Farrell? Do you make yourself known to the boys? Do you, do you try to be a voice or do you just shut up and get on with it? Uh, no, nah, just head down, head down. I've never... I'm quite loud. <laughs> Falcons boys will, will let you know that, but I'm quite loud when you get to know me. Yeah. But pre that, like I'm pretty quiet. I'm pretty keep myself to myself until until you've earned the respect of the people around you. Just shut up and just get on with what you're supposed to be doing. What about the element of your personality, which when you were 19 made you want to write off Josh Strauss? Does that still come across in training, or do you sort of dial it back a bit, just see what's what first? Oh no, it's definitely that's definitely still there in the sessions. Yeah. So that's like so I remember in the first Brighton session, um the first England session, I took a ball in. Lo and behold it was between Joe Marler and Carl Sinclair. <laughs> they smoked me and I was like, Fuck, they just made me look like a tit, I need to do something here. And we were in into another I was in defence and um I knew that Sinclair, Sinclair was coming on a hard line off the nine. And I had Borthwick in my ear going, he just smashed you. Oh. And I was like, fucking right, he just smashed me. So I, like, as soon as I seen the ball getting passed, I flew out, hit him as hard as I could. He didn't go down, but it hurt my shoulder. Good, and good. Yeah, so that was that was still obviously, that's always, it's always there. You don't say anything, but you try and yeah. speak with your 
I mean, that that's a that's a real good insight into the mindset because believe you me, if I knew Sinclair was coming on a hard line, I'd know exactly where not to be. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, I'd I'd, yeah. I'd be inspecting a ruck somewhere. Yeah. Excuse me. You need. I need it over there. <laughs> yeah, God. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Well. So just towards the end of your time in that camp, did you get any feedback, Gary? You've done well. But we're going to have a look at you in, in another six months. Or here's what you need to work on. What, what did they come back come back to you with? So I was so I was obviously in the Six Nations camp, and leading up to the Italy game, yeah. everything was going well. Um, and then on the the Tuesday, we did a, a mauling and brawling session, and uh, Macavonapola came and hit me right in the top of the head, oh, no. and it just like compressed my spine a bit, and I, I had a bulging disc, so I couldn't. I was getting pains down my arm. I couldn't really move my arm. And I was like, shit, I can't say anything here. So I was like, just play on, you'll be fine. Carried on the session. Then the next day, I like getting these tingling pains. I'm like, like not feeling my arm. And I was like, you know, I went to the doc. I was like, my arm's a bit sore. I got hit in the head, blah, blah, blah. He's like, all right, all right. And then it came to the Thursday. um, And I was like, nah, just got to keep going here. And then I got told, it was the Thursday or Friday, I was going to be told there's a traveling reserve to Italy. Amazing stuff. And I was like, class. And then I told the, and I told the doc, I was like, this isn't right because my arm was knackered. Went and got scans and basically found out that I had a compressed disc. Uh... So they flew me out to Italy, done some training sessions with him to keep fit. In the airport on the way back, um, Eddie, was it Eddie or one of them came up to us and just said, um, yeah, mate, you'll be going back to your club. Because obviously, and then I was out for like three months or whatever it was after that. Oh so no! Just, yeah, they just send you anywhere. It's not like so. Were you still the travelling reserve for the Italy game? Yeah, yeah, I was stood in the tracksuit and. Oh, good, good. So you got paid for it. I mean, that that's kind of what I was thinking. Oh, yeah. oh Christ! Yeah, yeah, I got paid for it. Oh, thank God! If you were, t- tell you what, if I was travelling reserve and uh, I was carrying an injury, I wouldn't tell. I wouldn't tell a soul. Well, yeah, I know. To be fair, I wish I didn't. I could have just probably just stayed as a reserve for the whole. Thing. If you got like five or six traveling reserve fees, I'd, I'd, you'd, be, you'd be delighted. Yeah, I know. Well, looking back, obviously, it's things you learn, isn't it? But yeah. To be fair, I got I got a free pair of Beats. I got a free iPad. I got what else? I got some traveling reserve fees. I got a private jet to Italy, which was did you? probably never going to do again. Did yeah, you? that was pretty cool. Where Where did you fly out of? Do you fly out the diamond hanger? Oh, I couldn't tell you. Couldn't uh, so tell you. when so when Quins fly, they they fly out of somewhere, and it's called the diamond hanger. So you don't go through your normal thing; you go through some other security, and you end up in the diamond oh, hanger. Oh yeah, we, we went through. We didn't go through security. Do you know? Walked all the way to the airport, all the, like marched down through these different doors, and onto a jet. And I was like, Christ, this is how the other half live, isn't it? Isn't it just? It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And ultimately, you got your international cap. Maybe not with England, but you still got them. I did, yes, I did. Um, Luckily enough, Scotland, uh, Gregor spoke to me and said that um, he'd still be keen for me to come up. And then I was obviously very keen to go up. Um, And then that got released. I did a pretty stupid thing and uh, released a thing in the Daily Mail. And then it went burst up. I was on my way down to Scotland, up to Scotland. Yeah. And my phone just started going absolutely mental. Now, obviously I'd... I feel I should like, know this. What went in the Daily Mail? Uh, I'm not going to repeat it, but it was just something <laughs> along the lines of, I'd said when I was for England, said some things about Scotland. Oh. And then obviously I went back to Scotland with my tail between my legs and um, then it got released on BBC Sport that uh, Gary Graham is now in Scotland squad and then I just started getting tweets messages saying you're a fucking traitor saying that they were going to chuck stuff at me if I line up on the uh, for singing the anthems and stuff at one stage I looked on my phone and I was Number four trending on Twitter. No, really. And I was like, Fuck and, yeah, and, he was, and like, uh, so, 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 who was ahead of you? It was like Barack Obama, Lady Gaga, Great Recession, <laughs> Gary Graham. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, I was like, Jesus Christ, I finally made it. And it's just, <laughs> it's all off hate mail. 
It's all of people, me abuse. Do you know what, though? In a world of rugby players being all like identical cardboard cutouts and whatnot, it's good to have some differentiating features. Well, yeah. This is what people Maybe want. not for the guy who's, different, who's the differentiated one. No, I don't know. Not... I don't know. That's how you get noticed. Well, true, yeah. I was definitely noticed, anyways. Just going slightly off topic here, a little bit more miserable, I guess. What were your thoughts and what were your memories about the last time Newcastle Falcons were in the Premiership, and particularly the game you played against Leicester Tigers? Because that it wasn't a relegation decider in, in, in the end, was it? Or, or was it? I can't remember if it was. It, was uh, a... it, it pretty much was, because I know there was obviously games after that. Yeah. That was oh, yes, you're right. It wasn't final weekend, was it? That... No, it wasn't the final weekend, but obviously I think if we beat Leicester, we'd have been in a much more safer position yeah. and a much more but yeah it's still very fresh in the memory of that game um, we everything was going to shit really um, and then we got down to their try line I think we were only a few couple of points behind um, and then Guy Thompson comes over the the rook oh, yeah. and gets a turnover right on the try line at the death pretty much and then that was fucking tragic and it was a cr- one of the worst days of my rugby life, anyways. And then we watched Worcester against, can't remember who it was against, which was the game that was going to send us down if Worcester won. And Darren Barry, the prick, yeah. <laughs> scored the try, scored the try that sealed the victory for Worcester, which then sent us down. Oh, uh, I do know this, big, actually. The cheeky sod signed for us. Yeah, good lad, Darren. One of my favourites. Yeah, well, he wasn't at my t- then, but he's a good lad now, yeah. Oh, I imagine that. Yeah, do, do you know what I think is real sad um, about Newcastle Falcons? Um, more than anything, well, not Newcastle Falcons as a club, but for you boys at least, is that every other team that's gone down, so you think about Northampton, you think about Harlequins, um, Oh, and it particularly Worcester, right? So with Worcester, I interviewed a few, few, a few of their lads, and for a lot of their boys, the best rugby game that they'll ever play is that double header against Bristol to go back up. It was, it was just yeah, mega. Yeah. You guys have had all the pain of going down, but none of the joys of really winning the league. No, it was it was really weird this year because we came into the session, we came into the week, we had Coventry. Um, and COVID had just, just kicked about. And obviously it was getting bigger and bigger as the days went on. And then uh, we got told that we were going to lockdown and we all came into a meeting and Dean came in and he was like, the game's not on. And we were just like, right. And then he went, and we're going to find out in the next few hours or days if we're promoted or not. Christ. And we were, And we all just like slowly went, <laughs> well done. You can't yeah, even have a beer, was, can you? That was it, and we only just we only just got our championship medals last week. Really? So the, the winners' championship medals, yeah. That's we yeah. were all asking for them, and we only just got them last week. Yeah, because for so many teams, going down is obviously the absolute nightmare scenario. But once they're down yeah. there, a lot of them regather. You know, you can have some right, right old ding dongs, and then you come back, and it's bloody brilliant because you get that winning team team mentality. You've kind of denied that, which I think is a real shame. Yeah, there is that. There is obviously, it is obviously really good to win every game, um, but then it is like it's horrible going down because obviously a lot of the the teams they lose funding so they lose players and this that and the other and people lose jobs so it's like yeah you're going down to the championship which is the worst thing in the world and you're going to be winning all the time which is really good but it's it's a tough thing to do and going away to obviously these these places and playing out of porter cabins and whatever else but yeah yeah it's a it's proper back back to basics rugby isn't it Oh yeah, definitely yeah. And there's obviously that exact same thing as the the Scottish Prem playing the these professionals. It's like all the championship teams see you as a scalp to take. Yeah, like the biggest game of the season for them. So they're everyone's chomping at the bit, and you're just getting battered left, right, and rhubarb. So how have you um, kept yourself 
in shape over lockdown because everyone's been back playing for God knows how, how long and you boys have had yeah. one game. Yeah. Um, for the, the lockdown period, we had like maybe a group of eight or nine of us that would go down to a field and just run our run sessions, just like keeping fit and stuff like that. And then just before lockdown, we all, or a few of us got weights to pick up and I've got a garage. So I just put the weights in the garage and I had one of the lads, Seb de Chavez, me and him would do sessions together. But see, when, when you're in lockdown and you've got to get up, even though your weights are in your garden, there's nothing worse. The motivation is sucked right out yeah. of you. And like, just thinking, oh, this is terrible. Do you know what I mean? I guess it's different for you. You're going from like the high performance environment where I, I guess the workout is quite quite fun because you're with your mates and it's competitive and all, and all yeah. the rest of it. And I think people go one of two ways in lockdown, don't they? They either put on a load of weight or they get ridiculously fit. Well, yeah, I know. Well, that was it. I think I think we definitely did get fit because it was like a group of eight and nine of us that were doing it week in. And I think the probably sessions were pretty, pretty hard. Um, and the weights were just as hard because I know Seb at the time was out of a gig. So he was... He was going to Austin Gilgronies. And oh, he was yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was, um, he was pushing, he was pushing me because I, I probably wouldn't have done half the weights if he wasn't the one texting me, going, right, I'm on my weights for yours now. We're going to go and do some weights. I'm like, oh, Christ, I'm like, right, okay, we'll do some weights. I bought so, some kettlebells, some pull-up bars, some bands. Like there was a point in lockdown where kettlebells were costing like 120 quid each. The, the uh, price were obscene. I spent 80 quid on bloody elastic bands. You could have went to the post office and got a few. Of them. <laughs> yeah. But, well, good. yeah, particularly with what I lift, uh, more than suitable. <laughs> yeah, no, the way, whoever started stocking up on weights pre-lockdown has made an absolute fortune now. Well, mate, thank you so much for your time. We've been rabbiting on here for uh, look at that, an hour and ten. Oh, well, there you go. Time flies when you're having fun. Um, uh, it's- before we go, oh, do you know what? There's actually a load more things that I wanted to ask you, but as I've been official and ended it, I, sh- I shall stop. Before we go, are you on social media? Can, can, we fi- can we find you? Yes, you can, yes. on on. I only really use um, Instagram and Twitter. Twitter's my one, yeah. Big big on Twitter. Well, no, I, I use it a lot. I'm not big on Twitter. <laughs> I mean, I literally I haven't posted anything on Twitter in forever. But I do have an account. Ah, right. Uh, and we can find you at? Uh, it will be, oh Christ, Gaz92. At Gaz92. Brilliant. Where you, uh, presumably you're sharing all of your uh, pictures of uh, protein sponsors and whatnot and thanking trainer companies and boot sponsors. Oh, well, I used to, yeah, but I haven't, I haven't gotten anything now. You don't get anything when you're in the champ. Oh. But I'll, uh, if I did, I would be, yes. And last thing is, before we go, uh, give me a prediction for Newcastle Falcons. This week? Go for the season. Tell me where you're going to finish. Because I don't like to be too cocky, I'd like to think top six. Top six. Awesome. Well, yeah. Gary, best of luck, and we are definitely having you on again sometime. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 